0: No one else knows how hard it is you've got it. You've you've had it inside your own head and you're not going to get praise from everybody. You're not going to win the race. You're not going to run through the tape, throw up your hands and say, I'm a winner. I'm a world record winner. You just got home. And the fact you're there in one piece is good enough. And you need to learn what good enough means because good enough is still a win.
1: That was Richard, a program manager working with ADD, reflecting on how he's come to terms with accepting the small wins. In this episode of Silent Superheroes, we'll hear more from Richard about the push-pull between his expectations for himself and what he can accomplish in reality. We'll hear about the guilt and the shame that he experiences when he feels like he's letting himself or other people down. We'll hear about the challenges of getting the medication he needs and his journey to acceptance and becoming okay with being good enough. Remember, Richard and I are talking about our personal experiences of living with mental illness. If you're considering a change to your treatment plan, please consult with a trained medical professional. My name's James Pratt. I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here.
0: Welcome to the Silent Superheroes podcast, a series of frank conversations
1: about mental health at work. Uh, so Richard Welcome to Silent Superheroes. Thank you. It's great to be here. So maybe you could start by introducing yourself. You know, who are you? What do you do? Mm-hmm. And what are you here to talk about today?
0: No problem. I am a 50-year-old male. I have had problems for probably my whole life, but not diagnosed until much later. I have a wonderful wife. We don't have kids. We've always had pets. More to the po- more interestingly, in my current situation, I'm just getting over being a full-time caregiver to my mom mm-hmm. who passed away last last year. I was a caregiver for four years. That's allowed me to also have introspection on impact of mental illness and what it means to me, how others are impacted. Probably most interestingly is now that I'm just about to enter the workforce, I'm hypersensitive to what is going on with my life. And I've had periods where my illness has exaggerated upon itself, especially just even in the last 24 hours. So that has allowed me to think a lot more about those problems that are always there in my mind, how to deal with it, how to keep going. You said illness. So tell us
1: what's. <laughs> tell us what it is we're talking sure. about.
0: Sure. Let me go with a little bit of a history and and then you can pretty much guess. So growing up, school was never a problem with me. I would get my homework done probably within about five minutes. I just look at the paper and just start scrawling and Mm -hmm. everything's right, but entirely shy. Don't make friends that easily. Kind of a big guy. So being both a complete nerd as well Mm -hmm. as being very overbearing, nothing really manifested except for some performance anxiety. You know, I'd always have that whenever I'm doing piano recital or stage Mm -hmm. play or something like that. That Those just kind of, seem natural. I also knew that there was some interesting things in my family growing up. My brother always had some problems. My sister had some problems. Dad didn't really talk about much and my mom didn't want to talk about much. And so kind of a lot of it was was figuring out on my own. Anyways, I went to college, did okay in my freshman year, but had to drop out of like one or two subjects because like for some reason, the homework just never really came that clear to me. I could not just bang stuff out. A lot of stuff required time. A lot of stuff required a lot of thought being able to write down stuff. And I started to, and here's the kicker, Mm -hmm. uh, just like in high school, I would wait until the night before because I just had to get everything just completely right. I was not inspired to get the words to come out of my brain. And so I would somehow come out with a 20 page paper in the 12 hours before the the class and the paper was due. In the sophomore year, I really got in trouble because then a l- bunch of the topics uh, in physics and math and sciences and taking a full course load, I just never could figure out how to get the homework done. It just wasn't mm. coming to me quickly. Yeah. Plus, I was thinking way over optimistically, thinking I could go to a math class at eight in the morning. I would miss every single one because I would be staying up until four in the morning watching movies goofing around just kind of be my own person right. and not getting anything done at night wondering how come the inspiration didn't come to me to, to do homework and yeah. why didn't I get the math homework done and I was I was slipping further and further behind yeah. and I had to copy notes from everybody I knew in those classes and just kind of beg and plead and yeah. you know can I please get your notes things like that unfortunately they allowed me to copy off the notes rather than let me figure out what's going on and by the end of that, uh, that first semester of sophomore year I failed to three of the classes. I dropped out of two others and my parents hit the roof when they saw I would completely fail that semester of college. So quite a learning experience. And so we decided that maybe going into science wasn't that great. So we decided, well, how about just business? So I kind of did that and then re-entered as a business major with a management information systems, Mm -hmm. concentration and and database. I did completely fine with that because the business stuff was extremely easy and accounting was something that just kind of came very quickly to me and I Mm. could be able to just bang out all this double entry accounting. Basically, as long as it was numbers related, then I was great just to keep everybody off their suspense. I've got raging ADD along with depression comorbidity and it's non hyper comorbidity of ADD. So it's the inattentive type, I guess, because I was never hyper, except if there was something that I was super interested in when growing Mm. up, I would just sink everything into that science fiction or anything riding my bike at... 40 miles an hour yeah. on the highway, things like that.
1: You said, you know, like I found the accounting super easy. Was that because it was interesting to you? Just
0: doing the simple adding, subtracting numbers mm-hmm. came so easily to me and I could just bang that stuff out. And the other courses, like I said, English and history and yeah. things like that, I could do with no problem because yeah. they're
1: just facts and you just rattle them off. Yeah. And you got the sense of accomplishment. You know, I'm a good person because I can add and subtract all these numbers and keep track of this ledger or whatever. I'm not a good person, but I'm
0: treading water. I'm floating on the top of the water and I'm not doing great. I don't have a, mm. I haven't declared a major yet, but at least I'm not failing. In my mind, it's never that I'm a, I'm a success. It's that I'm not failing. You're not failing. <laughs> <laughs> so just and, being so-so is still almost good enough because yeah. at least I'm not failing.
1: So there were a lot of words in there, ADD, comorbidity. So, you know, maybe you could just break down some of those things kind of to help people understand what does that mean? So I was listening to a speech
0: on the way over and they were Mm. basically saying how language can be misused by the larger populace and things like I'm so OCD about my pencils on the desk or I can't keep my head on straight. I must be schizophrenic. And, you know, their words kind of tossed aside and you have to don't get angry about that because they're not thinking about the clinical definition of Of it. Of course, yeah. But with attention deficit disorder, I mean, you have the inability to willfully put your attention on anything and it's more about what really interests you and fascinates you. And Mm -hmm. medically speaking, what you have is an underdeveloped frontal cortex of your brain right here, just north of your forehead. And unfortunately, that executive center of the prefrontal cortex runs largely on dopamine. Mm. And so my brain just does not create enough dopamine nor epinephrine. And so only when you have intense or, you know, you're really interested in something, your brain starts firing off the dopamine. And then all of a sudden your executive center, you're able to think, you're able to plan, strategize, and you get that really exhilarated feeling because you're in the moment. And the other comorbidity was the depression part, which is a yep. lack of serotonin in your brain. Yep. So when you get those situations, and your your senses start to limit themselves, yep. and you get attached to the past, and you're obsessing about the past, or you think the future doesn't have much a very good outlook for yep. yourself, then you just start to shut down. And you know, and and yep. for myself, I had pretty bad period of that, that just reminded me about everything that I have done or have not done since I'm between jobs. Bedtime, that is a thing I just can't force myself to do. For some reason, I'll stay up until six in the morning when finally there's enough oomph behind it for me to think, wait, I don't want to be disconnected from society. I don't want to be, I don't want to be an outcast. I better go to bed. And in my brain, I'm I've got magical thinking, thinking (laughs) that I can get this done if I, and things will be much better if I get that one thing done. And wait, look this over there. Oh, now I need to get two things done. Mm, That's a lot of stuff. Maybe I better distract myself for a little bit until I get in the mood to get that one thing done. Mm, Now it's morning and daylight's coming out. Oh, I need to give up and go to bed. And now I feel sad. And Mm -hmm. because I did not accomplish anything that I wanted to get done. Right? ADD people tend to be on kind of the, the, you know, uh tend to be on the the smarter side, and they'd be mm. totally functioning they'd be totally industry leaders and successful people mm. and and all that, except like we're our own barriers and and yeah. we can't stay interested in things long enough, even just to be able to to get something done and so and also just uh um recollections of so many failures in the past yeah. you know have have broken us down to the point where if something goes well, it's a miracle. It, it really is. And so just getting through the work week, if you have maybe three things that you that you that you feel really good about, or just three things in a day, that's almost enough because it's a feeling that you've grown up not having very often of just of, of having success, of feeling yeah. successful, but you don't remember that feeling the next day. And then you set yourself up again for more compounding, more distraction, more procrastination, more, uh, I need to study this a little bit more before I actually get going on it. And I know once I'm motivated, I'll get it done in a half hour. You
1: said earlier about how your brain lacks, or maybe doesn't completely lack, but just has insufficient levels of dopamine. Yeah.
0: Along with a lesser developed portion. So that can actually happen. That's probably, uh, as I've read, Probably seventy five percent of ADD people have a lesser developed part of the brain, and just mm-hmm. means it's just not as dense as other parts of their brain. Because, yeah. like I said, as kind of a taller, big guy, I look at small people who are brilliant, and I oh, I just wanna. Because how, how is this person able to think and be so brilliant and be so yeah. cunning and, and likable and everything in the Ooh. workplace? And yet they're only five feet tall. And it basically is, comes down to how compressed the brain is and how many wrinkles there are. Because it's the wrinkles in the brain that create the neuron connections. It's not okay. the size of the brain. It's how much of the brain is crammed into a small space. Oh, and so with interesting. a large, and so with a, like I said, a large person, six foot three, used to be six foot four and just in growing in utero my brain just did not have time to grow into the into the skull as right. much as it could so other parts grew up more com- pacted, but it just never finished. And that other 25% ends up being people who maybe were born prematurely, people who have had frontal brain injury, just things like that, or head trauma. And they will often then start having ADD type symptoms because the executive center up north of the forehead, that area becomes damaged. And so it's not able to kick in and provide those executive functions like planning and fortitude and just driving on with regardless of your feeling about it.
1: So your your brain or ADD is perhaps your brain's way of compensating for that, getting the things that it needs by it's addicted
0: to the rush. So you become addicted to the whole adrenaline right. thing, yeah. And my counselor did say you're quite an adrenaline junkie, aren't you? And I'm going, I I don't want to think like that, but yeah. maybe that is why a number of people with ADD also are substance abusers, yeah, because it gives them gives them the rush.
1: There's so much commonality. <laughs> it seems between that and bipolar. Very common for bipolar totally. people.
0: And and that's why things like computer gaming is such a big deal for us because it's all about the rush and it's about saving the day and being Ooh. the hero and stuff like that. And so we get a big rush from that. That's rewarding. And and especially to me, it provides a feeling that I don't get on, an, on a frequent
1: basis. So yeah. it makes it even more appealing. So I joke about Candy Crush being a dopamine factory. Yep. Have you ever played Candy Crush? No, totally. Yeah.
0: When I was listening to like a podcast years ago, they said basically around like level 25, Or so you hit the bridge, and basically the game ramps up the difficulty by three times. And then you get to that bridge in the game, and then right about then is when is when the difficulty just cranks up. And and you know, people would think, oh, it must be random. No, no, the game is constantly figuring what you need in order to get a small dopamine hit, or how it can disappoint you, or how it can set up the game so that you're not gonna get a three in a row. It's thinking in the background about what to give you up at the top. It's not random, it's not anything like that. It's it's trying to figure out how to string you along.
1: When I came to edit this episode, I listened back to the recording and I noticed how much Richard and I jumped around during our conversation and would take sudden left turns. For example, one minute we're talking about Candy Crush and then the next minute somehow we're talking about dreaming in color. Do you see and do do you dream in color or things like that? Strange thing, I don't dream. Maybe one dream a year. Did I? Wow. Did I remember? And people tell me like, "Oh, you dream all the time." Yeah, like, um, I, I guess I don't know how you know that because you're you not just in my head. Blushed it from your mind. Yeah. yeah. You wake up refreshed, going like, "Huh." You know, I've asked my psychiatrist a number of times, you know, is that associated with the depression or they're bipolar? And in her opinion, it's not. But if there are other people out there who have had this experience, I would love to hear from you because it's you one may, of my great unsolved mysteries. You right may now. just be entering just kind of a state of malaise where you're, you're just kind of there and you're kind
0: of, yeah. again, unemotionalist and experiencing yeah. and something yeah. and you see it. Your brain sees it yeah. during a REM state. Maybe it just doesn't just, register because it's not that interesting or yeah. you're not taking an active role. Yeah. Or you're not getting emotionally involved. Yeah. But you're watching the mm-hmm you're watching the world go by. I used to save the world and I used to shoot really big guns, big minigun kind of things like that. That's when I was doing great work. And then in the last about six or so years, I'm just constantly being blamed for everything going wrong. In your dreams? In my dreams. Yeah. yeah. I'm the low man on the totem pole. I'm not getting my status report sent out. Mm. I'm trying to fix things and nobody's helping me. So it's very much a snapshot of my own mental self image. Not normal, not great, basically. Right. Because I've experienced unhappiness with my own productivity, it's now manifesting as other people doing it to me too, Mm. in my head. And this starts to get into a lot of the guilt and shame that you read in that that post that you yeah, what a week ago on, yeah. the, on the adhd and my comment was what's he doing in my head how does yeah. he know about the guilt and the shame right. why is he i want to skip ahead in the article but it's just too frightening because now yeah. it's now it's very real and normally i would be skipping past in the in the article yeah. it was quite a long read so it was very uncomfortable in many yeah. ways
1: yeah <laughs> but what, um what was it that resonated so strongly with you from that article
0: the guilt and the shame guilt and the shame <laughs> just when he said that and I've yeah. i've read about other people and my mom encouraged me to go start seeing a counselor when I was seeing her. And I would have these periods where I'm frustrated and I want to get back to work. And she goes like, well, you're doing such a good job at caregiving you or caretaking me. And you thought about going into being nurse's aide? I'm going like, no, I'm a program manager. Even though I may not be great at it, it still pays okay. Yeah. So I don't want to be a nurse's Yeah, I don't want to go into healthcare like that aspect of it. I could see myself being a doctor because I can visualize in my head the eight years of college and yeah. another four years of residency and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff the 12 years and just oh, and, the, wait. and the
1: tv hospital show adrenaline of someone getting you know carted in with some complex disease and or... they seem so calm and
0: self-aware and i want to be that that's what i want to be most of all is i want mm. to be somebody who's pretty happy with what they're doing and they're knowledgeable about it and everybody treats them with respect and that seems that seems like heaven
1: What struck me during my conversation with Richard was that here is someone who's smart and he's quick. He excelled at school, but then suddenly, when faced with the demands of learning science at a college level, where the learning has to be slow and patient to pick up all the complex concepts, Richard experienced shame, shame at not living up to the smart identity that he'd built up. So I wondered, how long did it take him to figure out that he had ADD? What was the moments or moments that led you to go? talk to somebody and get a diagnosis. How did you get that? That's a good point.
0: So we kind of didn't go with that with my kind of working experience. So I had 20 something years of doing PM work roughly. I got to about 2011. The company I was working for was really heavily into the open workspaces and throw everybody into an area. No cubicle walls, no Mm -hmm. nothing, just groups of four people clustered together and the productivity will skyrocket, I'm sure. They move the tables That way... I was a little nervous about it. And like the very first day I sat down, my panic level went off the charts mm. and I'm just freaking out. I know other people who have had full blown panic attacks. I'm not that bad, but yeah. I, I cannot concentrate. I can't do anything. And so after a day or two, I positioned the monitor so they would block off the other three people that I would see sitting at my my whole area because I couldn't stand seeing them moving around and just watching their hands or their or their head move or yeah. hearing them talk and wearing headphones and everything I can to minimize the amount of distraction and just hearing other people doing their own work was just making me nuts and I'm looking around going like I can't stop paying attention to everything I can't you know I'm so distracted and everything and I'm going you know this isn't panic I've had panic before oh I just just need to type this in a search engine going like distracted can't focus can't keep attention what do I do and so the first 50 hits were all attention deficit (laughs) hyperactive disorder and I'm going I am not hyper I'm one of calm. People, I know yeah. I'm shy, I'm totally whatever. And here, take this simple 10 question test. Oh, okay. No, okay. Yes, 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 no, yes, yes, right. Oh, we got 90%. That's bad. Mm. Okay, I'll try another one. This one looks a little different. Yes, 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 no, yes, 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 no, yes, yes. yes. No. yes, yes. Oh, okay. Try another one. <laughs> going like, I'm not hyper. I can't be ADHD. And that's not it. So I try to call up my HMO's psychiatry department. They're going like, well, you have to be referred here. So then I make an appointment with my primary care physician. Mm-hmm. And I bring up, I think I'm ADHD because yeah. all this is going on. And he goes, like, well, I've been personally a part of this other group since the 70s about all this kind of stuff. So yeah. you may not be ADHD. It's a term that's thrown around way too easily. Yeah. You're gonna have to go see an expert. And so I make an appointment. Wait another like month and a half or Ooh. two months to go see the expert. He talks with me a little bit and then sends me home with some paper forms. These these long like four page tests. And he says, Okay, you get a fill one out, hand one to your wife, hand yeah. one to your mom, and see where we go. I brought it back to the to the expert psychologist, and he goes like, Hmm, this looks pretty bad. I need you yeah. to take this computer test. Basically, they flash a letter on the screen. And so when they flash a letter on the screen, you're supposed to hit the space bar on the computer, except if it's the letter C. If it's letter C, Ooh. do not hit the space bar. So they would they would flash a letter, boom, flash mm-hmm. the letter, boom boom, boom, boom. In my mind, I start noticing that now we're getting faster. We're getting faster. And then I blow through like one or two C's. Oh shoot. You know, okay. Well, I'm still going to hit as fast as I can because I'm I'm instructed to hit as fast as I can. I still blow through every C that I see. In my mind, I'm noticing, okay, they're getting farther and farther apart. You know, they're getting longer between each flashing of a letter, longer to a flashing of a letter, longer. Now it's getting shorter. Now it's getting shorter. And in my mind, I'm trying now to outthink what's the time that's being spent between Ooh. the flashes of letters, and I'm trying yeah. to guess it, and I'm trying to get it as fast as I can. So I'm sitting there measuring in my mind. I'm making a game out of this whole thing. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not watching for the letter. I'm watching for for the time it takes between to flash each letters, and I blow through every single time where where it shows up a letter C, yeah. and I'm still hitting the space bar yeah. every letter. And he prints out the results, going like, "Well, your reaction time's really good. That that means you're not distracted." I'm going. Like, Like, no, I'm really into this, but it's not what you think. My brain is trying to think what's the spacing between the times. I don't care what that letter is. I just need to hit that space bar. I am so distracted by everything going on that I don't even care what's on the screen. I'm trying to stay motivated by doing everything else except for doing what you're asking me to do. I am so far above your level of of what you think ADD is. this guy's like, oh, well, I guess you're ADD. And so he sends me off Hmm. to the psychiatrist. And I'm going like, no, I know I'm ADD now. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Because I've lived this just in this last five minutes. And so... Sends me off and and we start really low at like ten milligrams of Adderall and after a month or two months I come back maybe there's something I don't feel it and it was even a struggle back then because at that point the FDA and the DEA were clamping way down on Adderall and stuff because the abuse was really spiking up at yep. that point in early 2012 and I'm going I need this drug and so a pharmacist explains to me at the beginning of the year the FDA says we're going to allocate so many doses of Adderall or vivance or other mm-hmm. drugs. They have this restriction, especially for like class two drugs that are addictive and everything else that has a red band on it. Yeah. And, you know, danger, don't take this drug. And so they set limits of like this company can only produce 50 million tablets and this company can only produce 20 million or whatever. Oh, wow. Conditions like ADD become better known. There's going to be more diagnoses and mm-hmm. so there's going to be more demand for it in yeah. addition to all the people that may be abusing it. But there's also all these new cases that are now coming into the system, but there's still just this regulated amount of dosage that the companies are only allowed to produce. Yeah. At the beginning of the year, it's okay, but even then I still had problems finding a low dosage of Adderall, finding like 10 milligrams. And I only found like one pharmacy in a 10 mile radius that was even stocking that low of an amount. You know, and I come back to my psychiatrist going, like, maybe I feel something, it's not there. I don't know what it is, what yeah, what it what even was the effect I'm supposed to be feeling. And so she switches me over from Adderall over to Vivance. And so I'm going from a generic over to a name brand, and the cost goes way up. And I get on a savings plan with the company that makes the Advance, and this is common amongst people, and especially if you take a name brand psychiatric drug, you know the expense can just get really outrageous. I start taking it and just start a new job and it kicks in and I'm going, wait a minute, I'm really getting clarity of thought. I'm able to listen in and everything else like this. And mm. and they they prescribe me one pill per day. I was doing great until like about two thirty. And then I'm going, like, wait, no, everything's starting to seep in again. Wait, it's the feeling's going away. What's yeah. going on? What's going on? It was decided that that I need to take two pills per day of advance. Only the FDA doesn't like people to take two pills. Mm-hmm. Basically, I took, they they regulate to like 70 milligrams per day. And so she's going like, well, I'm going to give you like 60 milligrams. You take it and I take it. And I'm going like, I'm feeling great for five hours. And yeah. then it's gone. And she goes, well, I can't give you a second dose of 60. I can, get, you know, we can do 40. I'll have to write an appeal letter to your insurance because, you know, you're only allowed to have 70 milligrams per day. Yeah. If you need to take two 40s per day, that's okay. But... Uh, We need to have an exception for you with insurance and this stuff and you need to figure out what the timing is because it turns out kind of wasn't aware until recently that the the half life and so forth of your drugs is it's a very common occurrence amongst everybody because I'm taking two doses of advance and I take them at five and a half hours apart. Mm-hmm. Because at like anything more than about six, it starts to wear off and I yeah. start to feel like, oh no, I'm getting distracted again. Oh, I need to retake my thing. Mm-hmm. But that only gives me about 11 to 12 hours of dosage. And in an re- average day, you're going to be up 16 hours. So if yeah. I take it when I first wake up, I should be doing that because I wanted to get, when I get to work, I want to be functioning. I want to be firing and stuff like this. But I may only have enough just to just to get me by until I drive home. And now mm. in the evening, I don't have any of that vivance available. This is kind of the problem that you'll have, Mm. especially if your metabolism is metabolizing the the drugs frequently or I drink a lot of water, it's a challenge after that 12 hours period to keep my life structured enough that I can be able to then get myself to get work done at night or maintain awareness of what time I need to go to bed or yeah. set limits for myself. Okay, I'm going to entertain myself with games for an hour and then I'll yeah. stop at that one hour. But by then the drugs are gone and mm. so now I'm solely dependent upon my, all my skills and all my yeah. coping methods and reminders. to so your. And so um, I was going to say, and the second part of that is where people will say, oh, you know, it's, it's possible to get addicted to the drug. What's, what's addicting is the feeling of control, of having a calm brain. I'm no longer the, the random person. I'm no longer the... I, people can count on me once again. And I feel affirmed and I feel, I feel good.
1: So how are you doing right now? So we're
0: recording this pretty late in the day because I had that whole depression fit earlier in the day. Mm. I didn't take any until afternoon and then I took another dose like right when I walked into the door plus I also have uh, a caffeinated drink over sitting over here. So Okay, got it. Um, and that's one of the things with ADD people like you'll watch ADD people just guzzle down their Red Bull and it doesn't affect us like anybody else. It yeah. It just affects us like oh I can think now this is great I feel yeah. okay. So the difficulty I have on a name brand yeah. like Vivance because Adderall burns off way too fast now. So Vivance the way it's patented is, it is inside the capsules are little beads and those beads survive the stomach acid. And so the beads only break down when they get to your intestinal tract as opposed to something like Adderall, which uh-huh. can break down the stomach. And by the time it gets to your intestines where it will be absorbed, it's already gone. So it takes a much higher concentration. So the Vivance is great because it survives and, and more of it gets in your system, but it's still patented and it costs a lot more. And so, Ooh. for example, I'm paying 300 a month for my dosage... For for 240s per day, where on other healthcare plans, I would have paid as little as $10 a month, where the plan covers just about anything that's
1: name brand or something like that. So there's a drug that helps you be a more functional human being, helps you contribute to the workforce but your access to that drug is limited or at least complex mm-hmm. and
0: even harder is that if i if i limit myself if, if it's the weekend and i don't feel like i need to fire on all cylinders at all times during 12 hours of, on a weekend day i'll get in trouble with my doctor because they see on their system they see when i ordered the refill when i picked it up yeah. and if it's more than a certain amount of number of days they're going to ask me questions and they're going to think that maybe i don't need it or that i'm selling off my supply and stuff like that and i'm going no i I need this. Wow. And the level of abuse with ADD drugs is still way off the chart. For example, at one clinic I went to, they see three patients a week that are faking the system. They're faking the, the symptoms. I just feel like I, can't, I I get more done if I could just focus. Yeah. You know, other things that they've read, they think that's what ADD is all about, but it's not. It's about, yeah. like I said, a very common thing is, like I said, the shame and the guilt of, yeah. of constantly letting others down and yourself down. And yeah. you just don't ever feel like you're ever doing this enough. Yeah. So
1: you're fighting this constant battle against guilt and shame. And I fun. don't want to be outed
0: at a workplace either because
1: they're going to talk about me behind my back. They're going to think
0: that I'm going to turn in uneven results or worse. Yeah. I'm going to not turn in results. And I'm going to sit there and delay and get distracted yeah. and not turn in stuff. I'll suddenly be the most likely person to be laid off. So I'm constantly worried about that. And even then, despite my very good efforts, I'm not yeah. going to say my best because yeah. I don't really know what my best is. Yeah. Despite my very good efforts, I still end up getting laid off or fired. And this dawned on me last night just with the amount Amount of shame that you have you can't talk about your condition you don't want to share it even with your manager but when you see other people around the workplace you lock eyes with them going like i know your secret <laughs> you have add Ooh. you know i see uh, i went to a job once and like on the second day I see this guy guzzling energy drinks and whatever, and he wants to tell me about things and what's going on. And other times he's shy. And like I came into the second day going like, how long have you known your ADD? And this dawned on me last night. This is exactly the gay culture from like a decade ago. Thank goodness we're at the point we are now. 10 years ago, you Mm -hmm. didn't want to say anything to your employer. You didn't want to say anything to anybody. You didn't even want to tell your parents. You didn't want to tell. You don't want to tell anybody because you're going to get labeled like that. And people are going to talk behind your back and they're going to find a reason to get rid of this person that doesn't fit their norm. I'm going to say things are Better now, and yeah. it got better, but we have so far to go about Absolutely. things. You don't really want to talk about it because you're just going to get into a whole mess of topics, and you don't want to say how extreme yeah. one way or the other you feel You know that you've had these symptoms. You can't help yourself. It's the way you're wired. And yeah. so you're going to hear probably throughout James's podcast yeah. all these are medical conditions. They're not made up in our heads. This is mm-hmm. the way our brains are wired. And like I mentioned a long time ago, mm-hmm. three quarters of the people with ADD have it from hereditary causes, mm-hmm. you know, developed in utero but there's a quarter of people out there who end up through age and they just don't produce the dopamine in their brain Mm. like they used to and this is why like a lot of people go from childhood and then into adulthood when Mm. all of a sudden the responsibilities get jacked way up all of a sudden now it just exposed the person but they were highly functioning in grade school and high school and all that because I'd go through all my homework Mm. lickety split you know that's why we're all silent superheroes is because we can't talk about it We, you know we can find solace with each other because we all know what we're going through we yeah. all see it with each other going like oh my gosh you've got that and then even if you come out to that person going like i've got add oh yeah well, i've got bipolar and we're going oh my gosh i don't know if i've got it as bad as you and i can't i mm-hmm. don't even want to speak to what problems you're having and go, yeah. i feel sorry for you but i don't know what to say because i yeah. can't fix your problems yeah i'm sorry i guess we both just have to be quiet together and we just make an agreement never to bring it up again <laughs> i <laughs> unless we hang out at an add bar
1: yeah <laughs> And um, we have just created a new business. Um, yeah. <laughs> They're called gaming pubs. Many people get diagnosed with a mental illness when they realize, I don't think everyone feels this way. Richard was nearly 50 when an office rearrangement caused him to panic and he followed his curiosity to get diagnosed. What struck me most during this part of our conversation were the limitations he had on access to the drugs that he needed. I mean, you don't sew half a wound, you don't set one half of a broken arm. But here Richard is, having to pick and choose when he takes his medications, the medications that help him function. But that's not Richard's fault. It's the circumstances of the medical system in which he lives. It's the fact that some people choose to abuse the drugs that help him. Now, before we start talking about Richard's work as a program manager, it's worth mentioning that we'd worked together. And I was surprised by Richard's reflection of what it was like for him as somebody with ADD working for me, somebody with bipolar type 2. So uh, let's go back in time.
0: Um... (laughs) We haven't even got. We've just barely got out of college. We've yeah. done that.
1: Well, exactly. So I, I want heck, plot the plot the course from. I'll
0: go faster now. So basically, getting out of college, it wasn't much of a context of program management. It was very traditional. Follow the Gantt chart. Make mm-hmm. the timelines. Testing was a bigger industry way back then because. We didn't have so many automated tools. A lot of testing was done manually, just people following usage scripts. So there was definitely still an industry in the pre-internet and the dawning of the internet. And so I was able to get a job in testing, but I wasn't great at it because I would wait until almost the due date when I need to write up these big, long usage scripts, basically, Mm -hmm. to be able to test the functionality. And I would make it overly complex. And yet what I should have been concentrating was quantity over quality. At various employers, they don't really teach you how to do testing. They kind of assume that you know how to write that you know, mm-hmm. write your usage scripts. So I'm doing everything by memory and not really typing it up much. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't having great success, especially when no bugs would be found. But, you know, obviously when, it, when I find a bug or find something esoteric mm-hmm. or something deeply hidden or requires a complex number of steps in order to be able to produce it, then obviously that kicks in the interest mm-hmm. level. That kind of did me well until the product got so stable that I wouldn't find anything. And then, then my interest level would just drop off. Yeah. So uh, again, looking for the stimulation. And not finding it.
1: Eventually not finding it.
0: Yeah. And so then I start branching out and I start trying to figure out how to make the job more complex or take on more responsibility to make myself more engaged. And I knew kind of what program management was because I see other people doing it and I'm going, that's what I want to do. I want to be the person who, who drives the bus. I want to I mm-hmm. be the person who directs yeah. where the thing's going to go because I know how I would want to see this change. It was just within four or five years after college of doing various testing jobs, getting fired, getting rehired, getting fired, yeah. getting rehired. And finally at another job, they were asking, well, what would it take take for you to be happy? And what would it take for you to stick around? I'm going, there's an open job right there of PM that that person left. I want to be that person. I know I do a great job. And they took me on into that role. And I think I did a better job than other people did. And and I was able to run things and I could be in charge of communications that kind of stimulated all the right areas and, and just became a realization. This is what I really want to do. And so with PM, then that lasted for another 10 years until I got hired on at Microsoft. But even then I wasn't doing very very well. And I've even been fired by Microsoft already prior to that time. Mm -hmm. And basically it was amazing if I'd even stayed employed one year, what would happen is that I would get so adept and in tune with everything going on. And then I dig myself deeper and deeper in responsibility when it was starting to take on too much. And uh, you needed a consistent voice as opposed to somebody who's just living on the adrenaline of, look at all this responsibility I have. Then I start missing the deadlines one after another. And now I'm not producing all the specs I'm supposed to be Even though I'm responsible for like half the product, yeah, and so I end up getting fired again.
1: So I would like to offer you this kind of this this reflection. So you and I worked together a number of years ago.
0: I was gonna I was gonna put that off because I was waiting for a twist. <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up yet. So with both you and me being undiagnosed at that point, how did my manager with bipolar deal with his employee with raging ADD and depression?
1: Thank you. That is a great question. <laughs>
0: You didn't think about that?
1: For a while, I didn't know when you were diagnosed. So two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. So I my diagnosis was two thousand fourteen. At least the the bipolar diagnosis.
0: And you hit it well too.
1: You didn't hit any of those marks. Good. And so and so you're the... not good. Because <laughs> you
0: were living a lie. I was living. <laughs> From my standpoint, if you had an illness that I never really mm. got, you were probably <laughs> I would say one of the most even tempered not enthusiastic. You were a very even tone manager. And yeah, I did not see times of mania or craziness or super excitedness. You hit to that point that businesses probably appreciate somebody with bipolar type. Two, they are probably a very consistent person. They're somebody that just gets the work done. They're not wildly excitable. They don't make anybody uncomfortable.
1: Mm -hmm. I think there's two things going on there. One, I learned in childhood not to show emotion. My mom, who's since passed away she was the dominant emotional presence in my life. Her emotions were much more important than mine. So as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, well, one, I learned to hide my own emotions. And then as we had that conversation, I started to realize that having been in a situation with somebody who is emotionally volatile and unpredictable, mm-hmm. one of the ways you might respond to that is I don't want to create that experience for other people. Codependency.
0: <laughs> We can talk about that too if you want. (laughs) If we get back to our working... Place when I'm creating this big, massive dashboard using all sorts of the data points that nobody had done before, Mm. and pulling together information from five different departments at Microsoft, and I can speak more intelligently than most other people in the industry. This this made me feel important, and then basically the whole methodology never changed. The next year, now it's getting more boring. At least it's a paycheck. Yeah, and that gets back to a point on like the ADD. People have beliefs about what a person with ADD is. Other people will say that person lacks focus, or they just need to assert themselves or Mm -hmm. they're lazy. Yeah. And so there was always this power of belief that I was incapable of doing good work. When I say, "Oh, I'm going to get that done," and then I'm going to get this done a half hour later, and then I'm gonna, and then I'm going to drive across town in 15 minutes, and then mm-hmm. I'm going to get this done. That's another thing about ADD is that we're terrible at time. So, for example, if I need to drive somewhere from my house to somewhere else, and it is 15 miles away or something like that, and I say, "Oh, that'll take me 20 minutes," because at mm-hmm. freeway speeds it's 60 miles an hour, and therefore. And that's so super mm. realistic. And that's why that's why we're horrible at time estimation is because I've lived everything that I'm going to do or little mm. snapshots of it goes like, OK, from there to there, it's going to be three hours there. To there it's going to be two hours, uh, not and counting for like all the emails that I'm going to be answering, yeah. all the disruptions and lunch. And so I'm thinking the best possible optimistic route because that's how it's mapped it in my mind. I just need enough adrenaline to keep me going that whole eight hours.
1: So I'm going to argue that for project management, it's dealing with time a lot and organizing time, mm-hmm. sometimes even estimating things. Yep, That seems like that could be the worst possible job for you. Not exactly. Okay. I've had
0: that conversation with myself many a time. Okay. As someone with ADD, it is great for me to be able to see everything on top of the whole process. I Ooh. don't want to be making the sausage, I want to watch everybody making the sausage and I can tell you you're doing that wrong. You're doing that right. You're Mm -hmm. doing this thing. And it takes that long for you to go for you know in the best optimal interesting best optimal way of doing it. I appreciate that all that because it removes me from being a cog in the machine that break some point or people would be dependent upon me to get something done. If I get those all those planning documents done and they all look pristine and fresh and extremely detailed and they all account for everybody doing whatever. It's basically keeping myself honest when I'm on the meds and when I'm feeling great and when I'm feeling confident about the job I'm doing. I love the structure because I don't have room for messing up. What happens when people deviate? Then that is where the fear kicks in. That is the other aspect of why I'm an unconventional PM is that I ruminate and I think about every possible thing that's going to derail it because I need to plan for it. I'm thinking about all the various times that everybody's not going to be able to do as much work as I think they're going to do, or that there will be gaps or delays or other gr- you know dependencies upon other groups that aren't going to play out. And so I need to factor all those in my head. And so now I'm engaged again because I'm trying to outthink all the other mistakes and delays that every other group have except for the group that i'm managing so in that case you mentioned i like, gamified the system can, again again that i am now interested in it again because i'm now planning for right. everybody's failures and i need to plan around it
1: one of your management strategies is to create games create competition to help motivate you to do things and i want to i want to
0: optimize the system so i want it to run efficiently so it doesn't come up with surprises even though I myself will come up with surprises by coming in late or I didn't want to turn in something that was half completed Mm -hmm. or just barely within the realm of what I know I'm capable of. If It's Mm -hmm. just an okay
1: job. It's less about making a game out of something or competing at something in order to maintain your interest. It's the other way around. If you're interested in something, you will tend to make a game out of it or be competitive because you're interested in it.
0: Yeah, I think, I'm trying to, I think I'm trying to reaffirm the pathways. I'm trying to grease the wheels. I'm trying to yeah. make it even more interesting because I'm already getting a dopamine hit, and so I want more dopamine. You want more dopamine, right? Yeah, so you're... I want more dopamine, so I need to make it more complex. I need to yeah. make it bigger, bigger, yeah. better, bigger, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and so encompassing more, and and so I'll get more praise for the end product and mm-hmm. so forth. And so if I keep making it bigger, it's uh, job security, too. But I didn't tell
1: anyone I'm doing this by the skin of my teeth and barely doing it, right. and I'm doing it the night before. I always had the sense you doing it by the skin of your teeth, but I'm also somebody who does things by the skin of my teeth, so it didn't bother me that much.
0: So this is the best thing. The the one comment that I can remember about anything is that I'm sitting there describing to you how the data was feeding into each other yep. and, and things were changing, and you kept going, slow down. I no, slow down. Can you please? I need to. I need to understand this. Can you please slow down? Look, Richard. Not everyone looks in the matrix and sees the blonde in the red dress. I need to understand this, and I'm going like it's right there. And that is the one comment that's lasted with me this long.
1: That's fascinating. Isn't it so interesting? I have no <laughs> recollection of saying that. That doesn't even sound like something in my head, I would say. So I was going to ask, like, is that, the, is that the kind of essentially poor impulse control, right? Where it's like, you can't think through whether like all the steps to get this thing done or all the work it might involve or the people you might have to work with because your brain is kind of racing to, and then I'll get this thing done and it'll be wonderful. And like, then I get my dopamine hit. And
0: I'm assuming I'm always gonna have this adrenaline. I'm gonna have this great fantastic rush of productivity. Nothing's gonna get in the way. Everything's gonna be optimal. Not gonna be any problem whatsoever because because everything's gonna work out because I've planned it to be. Then we'd be fantastic because we know how to get it done. It's just that we can't get it done to our own satisfaction and been beaten down so much that even accomplishing something feels strange and unfamiliar. Even getting through a week, like five days of working and getting everything done I wanted to, and people give me a pat on the back or just don't, but at least I didn't hear anything negative. The acceptance has actually been something that I've only started working on, and Mm. that was something between me and my counselor and and he's just going, what if you just got it done barely, you know, or what if you just turned it in with good enough results to be okay. I've never been able to appreciate that my, uh, that's okay. It is probably great for most people
1: we worked together on a product and a project that was essentially an impossible task. We had a very, very small team of people. It was unpredictable what we'd have to focus on at any given time because there was more work, you know, more problems than anyone could ever wish to deal with. The people around you weren't super organized and super disciplined. I'm just wondering if somehow you selected into that mayhem because it worked well for the way that your brain works the
0: the five years i was with that group were probably the most extraordinary because at one point there was eight people on the team and around the end of my second year Mm. there was only two people and we didn't even have a manager being the one person that was keeping the lights on in the group until they finally staffed it up again yeah it felt like i'm the second most important person on this team i am totally (laughs) non-expendable But that that made me feel good that I was keeping that i was I was keeping everything running,
1: and so I've heard this push pull between awareness of who you are, how your brain works, mm-hmm. but then also this kind of like I wish that I could be that way,
0: yeah, it plays into the whole shame and fear and guilt aspect that I'm barely holding it together. I'm not gonna cry or anything, but I don't want you to see how much is going on and how much uncertainty I have. I know I can spit out the results, but I sure hope that I can come up with enough drive and motivation to get this done or I'm going to get distracted. Even today, just in the few hours before I was going to head over Mm. and record this podcast, I kept watching the clock going like, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to be late. I don't want to be late for a podcast about ADD. I don't want to do this. I don't want to constantly just worry that I'm going to miss this thing. And so... Oh, no, I am not going to make it, you know, with with everything on my side and all the traffic's going to suddenly part from my car and everything's all optimal and all the green lights. Now I'm not going to make it on time. I feel like a failure. I've I've let everyone down. I just should just call it off. But even then I'm going to disappoint people even more, but at least I'm, but, but I've already proved everybody right that I'm going to just not be able to make it because everybody had these doubts about me because of my past times of turning in something by the skin of my teeth. I barely got it done and everybody's praising me on how good it is. And so therefore that must be the way I should be doing it because now I'm, I'm able to produce such great results with all this adrenaline coursing through me. This is what gets probably to the, to the whole central theme about your podcast is that we're all just putting on a brave face, hoping no one sees what's really going on in our brain. And as long as you just get to the end of the day you've done well you've done good so just give yourself a pat on the back what
1: is your superhero costume
0: I always see myself as the second, as the right-hand man, as the unseen partner, as the guy who just, who produced all the, all the information and everything. The leader took the credit, but the leader knows that I'm the one who kind of right. produced all that. And that fed in well to our working relationship. Yeah, I would say as long as that person appreciated you mm. as, you know, as the, the foundation for their success. So
1: you want people to see you as Richard supports us, Richard helps us be successful that's the costume and that you wear and that's kind
0: of I'm always trying to be helpful too yeah. and that's the other thing too is I, I love the feedback when people say that I've really helped or made or really made a difference because yeah you can be told that your work is great but you're not often told that you made a difference to somebody or they have a heartfelt appreciation for your effort
1: As humans, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for our ability to read other people's emotional states. I'd always felt that Richard wasn't completely confident in himself. As a big guy, I'd assumed it was something to do with his self-image. But it turns out, I was picking up on how he felt about the way he got his work done, and his wish that he could do better. But I can tell you, and Richard too if he's listening, he's brilliant. He's brilliant in his role as the guy behind the scenes. The work that he did let me shine. He made a difference to me and he made a difference to my work and success at Microsoft. And as a last little gift, he inspired my passion for analyzing data in Excel. What is it that you would want people to know about living with ADD? There's a number of
0: takeaways and it all came over a long period. Unfortunately, probably everybody will have to learn this on their own as well. And the more you hear it, the more it'll validate what you've heard and what you're experiencing. And that is that, you're inherently valuable for what you do. You do great work. What you're doing is not going to be audibly appreciated by your superiors, your managers, or Mm -hmm. our coworkers, or even just in daily life, but there's an appreciation that everybody will have for it. Maybe you had to depend upon all the various organizational skills and you had to rely a little bit on your informal coach, whether that's your wife Mm -hmm. or a friend who also has ADD or just somebody that you check in with from time to time to report on your progress. Maybe it's your counselor or something trust all the aids that you've built up already. Like, you know, if you keep your keys on the washing machine, at least you're keeping them in a consistent spot. And if you have reminders kicking off every five minutes on your phone... Mm. And as long as you don't dismiss that reminder, and as long as you maybe snooze that reminder for an hour, but Mm -hmm. as long as the reminder keeps coming up to remind you to get that thing done, and as long as you're not saying clear, you're going to be okay. And as long as you, as long as you got to your appointment, you're doing okay. Try to get rid of the, try to overcome the shame Mm -hmm. of Failing all the time. Try to think that you're doing okay just by managing, just by getting this far. You can do better. Obviously, you can. Mm -hmm. Everybody can do better. Maybe you can notice well, if I'm keeping my keys on the washer, maybe I'll put a hook on the wall and put the keys on the hook. There you go. Good job. (laughs) Gold star for you. And you figured out how to make it even better. And you can adapt your system to something that maybe is a little more acceptable to your partner or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's not just on the, on the washer, because obviously when you do wash, you're going to move your keys. So, yeah. <laughs> so try to adapt and try to,
1: and try to figure out something that works and it keeps yeah. you, and keeps you organized. Yeah. I'm learning through doing this podcast that people who live with mental illness are learning machines, constantly having to learn and find ways to live with, manage a condition, you know, overcome. twice as hard. That's why. Yeah. And you have no to think
0: it. Yeah. And yeah. So it's just, it's always something you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to adapt to the new environment. If you've gotten this far, you're doing okay you need to look at it going like, okay, it's still good enough. It can get better. It's still good enough. And these systems and these crutches that I've got, and I can make it better because I'm smart and I can do this, but it's still good. And we can work from there. And so it's always kind of a, just a building block of taking the small success and taking understanding to everybody else. This looks like I'm just barely crawling in productivity and I'm just barely doing it. And you need to look at it that way. And you need to say, I learned from this. I got a bunch of stuff out of it. I survived, but I still made it you made and it. I'm still doing good enough. Yeah. And so you just need to, you need to, need to be more accepting yourself, I think. Yeah.
1: So, you know, Rachel, we covered a lot of grounds here yep. today. Um, so just want to thank you. I hope so. I can barely remember it all. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for your time. And I get the feeling that we will be continuing this conversation in the future. Love to. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Uh, no problem. That's Richard's story, a program manager working with ADD, about to re-enter the workforce after a period being a full-time carer to his mom. Somebody who is carefully rationing his medication, finding ways to get his hits of dopamine through his work, and most importantly, learning that it's okay. It's okay to be good enough. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you want to know when new episodes are released, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash silent superheroes or sign up for the newsletter at silentsuperheroes.com. Take your mental health seriously.
0: If you need to speak to someone, you can call one 800 273-8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741-741. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources slash crisis underscore centers slash To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.